0: Hello again. Good to, be, good to be here sharing the word with you today on this uh, beautiful but chilly Sunday. It's great to be here. I want to open with a story. In the springtime of both 2016 and again in 2019, I found myself in the land of Israel and Palestine with groups of students, both uh, Jewish uh, and uh, Palestinian followers of Christ at a camp in central Israel, a Baptist camp. During this month-long trip we were there with Canadian students, it would always begin with this week-long camp. And in the, this camp is the highlight of their ministry year, and again, the start of our trip. So what we would do at the camp for a week, uh, the day always included a portion where they would uh, study the Bible, uh, worship, just like we did. But they would do it in Arabic, in Hebrew, and in English. So this coming together of language and culture. During the less scheduled times, uh, especially at night, it erupted in, in games and play and water fights. But I also noticed during the day in the afternoons, uh, again, Jewish students, Palestinian students, sitting together, having deep conversations, and I could tell people did not agree on everything. So the significance of those connections being made just felt really impactful, and I was so proud to be there with InterVarsity and um, with the students glimpsing what they were seeing. Because what I saw in the eyes of those students is, though they come from different places, and very rarely meet. At this camp, gathered around Christ, these students catch a glimpse of what unity, what uh, partnership could look like. By the end of the camp, nobody wanted to leave. I mean, the leaders did, because we were exhausted. It was you know, morning, tonight. It was amazing, but also exhausting. I should note, actually, Alan Lensink and I were there together in 2019. Mm-hmm. These were amazing trips. The joy experienced on those weeks was just so hopeful for everyone. And it was a a really transformative joy that they experienced because of Christ, because of the fun and that awesome combo. So today in our sermon series, we're we're ending the series where we're talking about overcoming shame. And today we're talking about how the practicing joy helps us to overcome shame. And some people might think that joy is just something you catch, like catching a cold. But what if, and I'd like to, to, to present today, that actually the Bible and even science would tell us that joy is something we can practice. Joy is something that we have some control over. Uh, neuroscientist Alex Korb said it like this. He said that we experienced mixed emotions, but we can't actually focus on both positive and negative feelings at the same time, so the experiences of joy and shame are actually incompatible, so according to science, joy is something through practice we can we can ramp up we can draw a, a shame draw away from shame by practicing joy we we 're built in a way we have our efforts make a difference similarly, the bible. Uh, it says something similar. The, the teachers at Bible Project say it this way. I love this quote. Biblical joy is more than a happy feeling. It's a lasting emotion that comes from the choice to trust that God will fulfill his promises. It's according to scripture. Joy is a choice. So again, at that camp in Israel with those students facing their very deep and troubling situations that have no answers, you know, Peace in the Middle East, very difficult. I saw those people holding hands together, bringing their lives together, and seeking Jesus for a different way forward. And the result was joy, so much joy. In First Thessalonians chapter 5, it says this, Rejoice always. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. All circumstances. Again, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. In that book of Philippians that I just read from, the word joy or rejoice is repeated 16 times. It's all over the book. So you might think, well, okay, Paul, he's in the Middle East. He's probably sitting around the Mediterranean penning this scripture as he looks at ocean and beach. No, in fact, when he wrote those joyful words, the book of Philippians... He was in a Roman prison cell, waiting to be tried before Caesar, uh, chained probably to a wall, sometimes chained to a guard, probably in awful conditions, dirty conditions. And yet God inspired him to write a joy-filled book, not knowing if he was going to live or die, not knowing if the, the church in its infancy in Philippi and other places would survive. But he's not a nervous wreck because he is choosing to rejoice. Paul had this going for him, that in his culture, in the, in the Hebrew culture of his day, they had feasts, they had celebrations, and they were, Paul, you might say, his mind, his spirit was trained to always turn back towards God in every situation. For example, they, they, their Feast of Tabernacles would celebrate God bringing them out of the wilderness and scholars estimate that in their culture, perhaps a third of the days were taken up with these types of festivals and remembrances. A festival every three days, that's a lot. So we, you, may not have a festival every three days, but we can and we should come up with ways to celebrate, come up with practices that draw us, draw our gaze back to this God of hope. Like those students that I met in Israel and Palestine, the habit of getting together and the various things they did drew their gaze back to God in the middle of very difficult situations. So it's worth asking as we start out this morning, what rhythms do you have that draw you back to God's joy in the middle of whatever you're facing? For example, we're doing one right now, we've gotten up early, we've come together collectively at this gathering at church on a Sunday morning. So congratulations, you're doing it. That's a communal practice. And I can ask what individual practices you have. So I think if we have a combination of individual and communal practices, this is what God has written into us in order to experience his joy. So today I want to look at three practices that I think draw us to joy. The first is to embrace what makes us come alive. That sounds pretty good. So I want to look at the book, uh, a little section of the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. It would have been one large work in its original. So in this, these two books that we have today, they describe uh, the Hebrew, the Jewish community struggling. This community uh, that we're reading about has come back after a 70-year displacement, 70 years where they were dragged away by the Babylonian Empire and then allowed to come back. So everything about their lives, their their career, their their place of worship, their homes had been lost and their grandparents had been dragged away. So what we see then is these people are back and what Ezra and Nehemiah, these two prophets do is they gather the people for an eight-day festival and in this festival, they celebrate for the first time after exile, the Feast of Tabernacles, so their, their grandparents would have known these words. So think of your grandparents and maybe the ways they knew God. But maybe 70 years later, that might be lost on you or your children. So Ezra and Nehemiah are gathering them to, to remember, to celebrate. So over this eight-day event, every day they, they spend most of the day having the Torah, the Old Testament, read to them. That's a lot of Old Testament But then what they do is this. It says in chapter 8, verse 10, after a long day of of hearing Scripture read, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So in this way, it's this important way that the prophet's want to help them to return to joy. After their their tragic, difficult years of struggle, they needed a a holistic, a whole body, whole community way to be restored to joy. So they held a feast. So I'm I'm so glad that in in this reading of Scripture, you know, we think the Old Testament might be pretty dour, pretty serious, and just... know, just focus on God and do very serious things, and certainly they were, and yet they combine it with a feast. So I imagine people feasting and being joyful together. So when I read this, it reminded me of something I got to do this past spring. Like some of you have done after COVID, I got a chance uh, after three years to finally go back to Saskatoon and visit my mom and my dad, who are here with us today. Actually, my whole family filling up a row Glad to have them. So that chance in spring, I, I was able to go. And one of the things I was looking forward to most was eating my mom's food. My mom is a great cook. So I had so much great food to look forward to. So we would sit at her table and eat you know, desserts and, and, and dishes. Then one night, they took us out to a childhood favorite restaurant in Saskatoon called The Cave. If you get there, you should go. It's, it literally looks like a cave from Fraggle Rock. Inside, some of you might know that reference from the '80s. Another night, they booked us into the special dining room in their building, and we had a prime rib dinner. So eating together with my family after so much time apart just felt really joyful, and just I know you've maybe experienced this. It just the memories even just lift me as I remember that joy. The church father Iranius said it like this: "The glory of God." Is a human being fully alive? Isn't that wonderful? Sometimes we think uh, the glory of God might be a human being very religious. No, no, it's a human being fully alive. So as we contemplate this point, I want to encourage you to consider what makes you come fully alive. And it's probably not something overtly religious. Well, it might be. It might be something like physical outdoors, you know, going to the mountains for, for biking or hiking. Uh, going, it could be indoors, it could be reading a novel, watching a great movie, it could be gazing at art or making art, it could be eating food, it could be drinking delicious coffee. Any practice that makes us come alive over time, and you should pay attention to this, is that practices that make me come more alive over time, though not overtly religious, can be called a spiritual practice. So if you're here with us today and maybe you're feeling particularly low and I'm not sure what's going on in your life, I want you to take this as an invitation to plan a celebration. Figure out what makes you feel joyful and and do it. Because I think, again, scientifically and, and spiritually, we're built in a way, if we behave and act into joy, joy will come. That's at least a big part of the solution. A second practice I want to encourage is one you've heard us talk a lot about before. It's thanksgiving or the practice of gratitude. For some of you, gratitude might come very easily. Maybe you're a naturally happy person. But for others of you, maybe that's the opposite. Gratitude does not come easily by, either by your personal disposition or things you're going through. And it can be especially hard when we're feeling low to practice gratitude. But that's actually when gratitude works the best. A way, uh, sort of a practice I've stumbled into uh, in terms of gratitude is uh, each night. I think I read this somewhere, and I I took that encouragement. So each night, uh, usually when I'm in my bed falling asleep, I'll just sort of, I'll think through my day, and I'll try to go from morning to night, each element, and maybe it wasn't the best day, but I, I think, what did I do, and where in each element of my day can I give thanks I often don't make it to the end of the list because I I often fall asleep before, but I actually take that as a cue too, that just being thankful, ending my day being thankful actually draws me into deep rest. A couple Fridays ago, as we're thinking of Thanksgiving, we had a chance with our newcomer community to have a Thanksgiving feast at uh, the gym at 10th Mount Pleasant, sort of a belated Thanksgiving the Friday after. So we had about 100 people come up It was a a packed event. It was a great event. And at that event, I was invited to share a few brief words uh, through a translator. So English and Dari, I got to share and read from Psalm 100, a very famous verse. I'm sure many of you might have heard before. And it says this, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise and give thanks to him and praise his name. So what I gleaned from that and what I shared to the group last Friday was that by giving thanks, it's like we're actually walking into the courts, the presence of our God. So he's he's saying that as we give thanks, we enter his presence. So this is something you've likely done. If I took a show of hands, have you ever gone around the Thanksgiving table and said what you're thankful for? I'm sure you would all nod. You all have done this. But in that community, in that community community, who doesn't have our Christian traditions or, or know about Thanksgiving, but they had been through war, through struggle, I just felt like this could be revolutionary. So I invited them to go around the tables and just share one thing they were thankful for as an as an antidote, as a pathway. To joy. That's what gratitude does. And it's, I've heard it said, it's like creating a mobile temple of God's presence. So as we practice thankfulness, it's like a mobile temple of God's presence will we'll be with us and surround us. Thirdly, the point I want to make as we want to escape shame and move towards joy, God invites us to adjust our sight adjust just the way we see reality. So as you know, history right up to the present day does not easily lead us to joy. There's so much to grieve and be sad over as we we watch what's going on in the world. And yet the biblical story, it's this perfect blend. It it actually is perfectly tuned to show us how to live with joy in a world that's marked by loss, by sin, by our our own selfishness. Because what it does is it wants to offer us uh, a unique way to see the world. So so the Exodus story in the Bible is a perfect example of this. It's a long story. You can read about it in Exodus. But at the end of that narrative, after Moses had been raised up and after the people flee out of the 400 years of of persecution and slavery under Egypt, they held a celebration. So right there in the middle of the desert, they they sing songs, they dance, not because it's all uh, done and they've entered the promised land, no. No. They do this, they celebrate this defining moment because they look back at what God had done, the the miracles he'd done to to help them escape. And they look forward to the promised land God has made for them. And they say, you know, we're going to march through this desert with looking back, looking forward. And that's how we're going to experience joy. So God invites us to adjust our sight so for us, in our day, God invites us to look backwards. So as Christians today, we, we look backwards, yes, to the exodus, but to that ultimate exodus from sin, the cross. We look back and say all the, all the struggle, all the pain has been dealt with by Jesus there on the cross. And then we look forward, we look at the Bible's promises that say it's all going somewhere. History is heading somewhere to a culmination where, where this same Jesus died on the cross, comes back again. He is coming to restore the heavens, the earth, to have a world where there is no more pain, no more loss. That's how we face the tension of the in-between. That's how we walk right down the middle with one eye back, one eye forward, looking straight down the middle, facing it with Jesus as he holds our hand. So as I quoted at the beginning I'll quote it again. Biblical joy is more than just a happy feeling. It's a lasting emotion that comes from the choice to trust that God will fulfill his promises. I know that's the kind of joy I want. So again, we can cultivate this through doing what makes us come alive, to practicing gratitude, and through adjusting our sight. Those are things we can do. So earlier at the, at the outset of, of this sermon, I, I mentioned this trip to Israel and Palestine. So while that trip began with Bible study and worship with, uh, in a Christian community, the rest of the month, what it contained was mission together with those same students on their campuses around the land. So I have a vivid memory, uh, this was in 2016, of Cleanza and I sitting uh, uh, going to the campus in the south in a, a university of... Um, It's called Bersheva, so it's Ben-Gurion University. So Bersheva is actually down in the south, about a uh, 30-minute drive from the Gaza Strip, so very close to where these attacks uh, began happening on October 7th. So the task that day in 2016 was to to walk around campus and to to just engage students in conversation and, and seek to encourage them and perhaps even talk about the gospel. So it was a little bit intimidating. But in that culture and in that time, and probably being Canadians, we actually faced a lot of interest. Like, oh, who are you? So it really wasn't that hard. We just had to to do it. And so I remember walking up to a particular group, something like that, sitting on that beautiful campus, and they wanted us to join them. I what are you talking about? Well, we're actually talking about what's the meaning of life. That's a pretty good intro. If you're ever going to try and talk to someone about the gospel, if they say that, that's awesome. So they were talking about what is the meaning of life, which was poignant for them because every, every young Jewish student after high school, so 18 years old, they join, join the IDF, Israel Defense Force. And they go and face all sorts, all sorts of manners of, of struggle and difficulty and honestly horrors. Uh, and so there they are two years later in university trying to sort themselves out and figure out like, how do you make sense of all that? So our conversation roamed around all the philosophical things they talked about. And we talked a little bit about our faith. And then what I was proud of is later that night, the students had arranged a coffee house. So at a home nearby campus, I believe some of them came and joined a whole house full of young people, celebrating together, eating together, talking, laughing, singing, and really experiencing joy. So in the middle of the tension of the life they faced, they had joy, and they came uh, to witness the Christian community uh, with a source of joy that maybe they didn't have. So it's sort of my hope that now, all these years later, maybe the, maybe some seed we planted then, or other seeds that that faithful Christian community planted is hopefully having some small impact as the bombs drop and as the war rages on. So the, this last slide is, I think, hopefully an example of that because some of these same students we met with are here on this screen. So this was emailed to some of us a few weeks ago. It's a, it's a Zoom meeting. And the, the, the Christian students of Israel and Palestine, they're meeting on Zoom. And what are they doing? They're, they're worshipping, they're reading scripture, and they're praying. And so for them, this is like what Paul was doing. Though he was in a, a prison cell, though they're stuck in a war zone, what are they doing? They're turning their gaze towards the Lord. They're worshiping, they're praying, and they're saying, Jesus, will you give us hope? In Philippians, it's called a spiritual gift. It's the joy, uh, the joy of faith or joy in the Lord. And this is what they're doing, and this is what we can do. We can practice this joy in the Lord. We can be returned to joy with whatever you're facing. Because I know we, we, face, we face our own things. Sometimes it's short-term, sometimes it's long-term. And the Lord doesn't do it by just sort of glibly glancing us over the surface. He invites us deep. He invites us to deeply practice, to, to tune our lives to his joy. And that actually will lift us up out of whatever darkness we're facing. So as we, as we conclude and as we reflect, as we continue to worship, I just want to encourage you. Jesus is with us. He's with you in whatever you're facing. He has a path of joy that's right down the middle of whatever you're in, and he's with you. That's, that's what he promises. He's the God who's with us, and he's, he seasons our life with joy. So let me, I'd like to, to pray for us as we, as we conclude looking at the word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this community this community that practices your joy by gathering each week, I want to ask your favor. I want to ask your blessing as we do this today and as we do this in the weeks forward that you actually do return us to joy from shame, from pain to joy. May we have our testimonies that this works and may our testimony be a testimony to the watching world that as we turn to you, Christ, you turn us to be fully alive, people of God. I pray this in your name. Amen.